<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, this is Work Party, a podcast for women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we tap experts on topics that matter most to the modern working woman, whether you are running the show or working your side hustle. We're bringing in leading female entrepreneurs to share their stories with you. Are you ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Hi, everyone. Jacqueline Johnson here, and welcome to Work Party, the podcast. This week's episode is a bit of a special one. We are talking from blog to brand with Mariana Hewitt and Lauren Gores, co-founder of Summer Fridays, a new skincare line that upon launch garnered a cult following and got an insane amount of butts. We chatted with them live from The Grove for the Dear Media Live podcast series, which was lit. Thank you so much for coming out. And now we are very excited to share it with you. But... First, let's talk about the evolution of the influencer. Nowadays, there are micro-influencers, YouTubers, content creators, bloggers, grammars, you name it. Influence is everywhere, and it's monetizable and highly lucrative. You can't throw a stone without hitting a blogger, boarding a private jet to Tulum. Amen. But the business of being an influencer should be taken seriously. Influencers are making millions of dollars and now becoming brands on their own. Mariana Hewitt was even quoted as saying, influencers are the new co-founders at the WWD Beauty Summit. And there's truth in that statement. Entrepreneurs, CEOs, and influencers are now becoming synonymous. Look at Emily Weiss, CEO of Glossier. Influencers are asking themselves, if brands are paying me all this money to promote their products, why shouldn't I just create a product for myself? Which is a fair question to ask. But let's level set. Most of us aren't walking around with 100,000 plus followers, so I want to talk about the varying levels of influence and how we break them down. First, there are micro-influencers, which we think of as anyone with under 50,000 Instagram followers. But really, it's anyone who influences decisions from purchasing items to following another person. Micro-influencers are super powerful for brands and communities. Oftentimes, they aren't full-time influencing, aka it's not paying their bills. So they are really, truly all about creating amazing content, testing new products, and sharing their experiences with their audience. If you are a small business owner, it's key to tap micro-influencers to help build your business and grow your audience. A study by Hello Society showed micro-influencer content is 6.7 times more efficient at engaging audiences than bigger influencers. And that's pretty amazing. A step up from micro-influencers are just your straight influencers. And these can range from 100,000 to millions of followers. These influencers are typically pay-for-play, creating contents for brand partners and being compensated for doing so, the rates of which are all over the map. But we will get more into that a little bit later. And then there are the influencers that are transcending the medium and diversifying their businesses, developing products, appearing on TV, signing licensing deals, et cetera, et cetera. Mariana is a great example of that. And there are tons more. Emily Schumann from Cupcakes and Cashmere launched her own line in e-commerce business. Nicolette Mason and Gabby Fresh launched Prem, a plus-size clothing line. So the question is, 
How much should and do influencers charge? And how are these power players diversifying their businesses to make real money? I am bringing in the expert and one of my favorite ladies of all time, Risa Lake, partner at DBA, Digital Brand Architects, the premier talent agency for digital stars like Ami Song, Gal Meets Glam, Manny MUA, and so many more. Welcome to the show, Risa. So excited to talk to you. So first and foremost, for people who don't know what DBA is, can you tell us a little bit about what DBA does? Yeah, of course. So we were the first talent management agency to solely focus on the representation of digital talent, building them into bigger brands outside of just digital. So this was before Instagram existed and we were primarily working with bloggers and content creators to help monetize and build bigger brands outside of just sponsored content and more kind of traditional banner ads. And now we have um, about 150 clients that we manage across all different verticals, fashion, beauty, lifestyle, home, culinary, travel, and are really the leaders in talent management with talent who have digital platforms. Amazing. I mean, saying that you started this before Instagram and in the dawn of banner ads is just wild. So how has the landscape, I mean, obviously it's changed so drastically, but I mean, even for DBA as a business, how has it changed? I mean, every day changes so quickly, which is insane. And like you said, wild. Um, I think about the original partnerships that we were doing and everybody thought we were insane. And at the time, blogger was this dirty word and people were like, we're never, ever going to pay a blogger. And we had to really lead with what the talent's creative was and go in and and talk to brands about you may not pay a blogger, but you'd pay a photographer or you'd pay a stylist or you'd pay... um, you know, somebody to, to, to create content or to produce food. So why don't you just happen to work with a blogger who does those things? And that's really how we first started, um, securing partnerships for our talent in the early days, again, before Instagram ever existed. And then it really evolved as platforms, you know, started to launch like Instagram. And we started to see that there was, there was a value and an exchange and, and a return for brands that we weren't able to prove before. So now we're so lucky that we're able to actually tap into the analytics on the back end and really show a brand the type of engagement that they're getting that influencers um, get around content that they're producing for the brand or we're able to tap into their affiliates and see uh, sales that they're driving for brands. So I'd say that really the the landscape is completely different from having to really lead with creative to now we have so many different opportunities to show that value for brands, which makes the partnerships even even bigger. And then just seeing the evolution of, of talent from being being, you know, in the back row at Fashion Week or maybe not even invited to Fashion Week to sitting in front row and walking in shows and really being the the new celebrity. It's so true. And you guys rep, you know, huge, huge influencers. But now it's almost like everyone's kind of an influencer. Like there's micro influencers, there's YouTubers, there's all these different kinds. Um, so I think more and more now, like my little nieces are like, I want to grow up and be a content creator. I mean, it's in insane, but it's a career. I mean, it's a, it's a job. Um, and, and, you know, obviously these girls and guys are making amazing money and building careers out of this, not just creating content, but doing other things as well, which we'll get into a little bit. But I think the number one question, at least that we get at Crate and Cultivate is how are they making money? How much are people charging? How do you get in touch with these brands? All of these sort of questions. And I read this article on Blog Lovin' that really broke down sort of the business of blogging. And it said that the industry standard is $10 per 100 followers that you can charge for paid content. So for instance, if you have 100,000 Instagram followers, you could charge $1,000 for a piece of sponsored content. Do you think that still holds true today? I think it's challenging because everybody wants to equate an algorithm and a metric to social media and to content and to influencers. And it just, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. There's so much that goes into the pricing as we're looking at 
um, you know, establishing those baseline prices per influencer, per campaign. And so much goes into it in terms of how much they're investing in their content. I had a call with a client yesterday and she was talking about how brands are not necessarily seeing the value of what she invests in the content. And she's like, Risa, I'm not going and shooting on, you know, just a street corner, a look. She's like, I'm renting, you know, a penthouse suite where I can actually go and produce this amazing backdrop with, you know, the sunset in New York City. So there's so much that goes into it, including like the out-of-pocket price of the content, the mm. time that it takes the influencers to produce the content, where if someone's just taking a lay-down shot of a Pellegrino bottle, that's very different than if they're producing a whole tablescape. So it's really hard to kind of put an algorithm to it because you also don't know from the actual reach really what their engagement rate is, what's their conversion rate. We have some clients who have similar rates that have a million followers and those who have 7 million followers because we know that uh, that one specific influencer is one of the top traffic converters and can drive a million dollars in sales for a retailer. So I think there's so many different elements that go into it. And that doesn't even take into account usage and exclusivity and all of that. But I think it's hard to equate some sort of algorithm to baseline rates. And we really like to dig into what those KPIs are for a brand when we're trying to align the right talent to make sure that it's the right person. And the rates can really differ from person to person. Awesome. So it sounds like a media kit is really important sort of with those analytics tied to it. So if someone was just starting out, like getting those case studies under their belt, you know, having that sort of information to show someone to sort of justify the prices they're, they're charging sounds like kind of the way to go. Absolutely. It's really important to know your value. And just like you said, everybody now thinks that they can be an influencer or they can start an Instagram channel and that they want to work with Revolve or, you know, they want to be on the next massive press uh, trip or they want to start using like to know it. And they often ask me like, well, how do I reach out to these brands? And I think the the first thing is to really understand the value that you bring, bring to a brand and being able to put that into words and whether that is, it's amazing, beautiful content that you're allowing them to use. Or you know that if you post a fashion photo that you get, you know, X amount of likes or X amount of engagement, or you recently did a post and you had X amount of people ask you where you got that skirt, um, being able to show the brand what your value is, because there's a million girls who have a following and who are influencers and brands are having to navigate through the plethora of all these different channels to really figure out what makes the most sense for their brand. And there's a lot of different ways about going. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to do that, but really understanding what that value is and digging into your back end and understanding your own analytics mm. is, is a really powerful tool. Like I've had, um, I've talked to, you know, talent who were looking for representation before. I'm like, Oh, well, you know, what are your, um, your impressions on your blog? And they're like, well, I don't know. And it's like, well, if you don't know what your impressions are, how am I supposed to take and monetize and create partnerships for you? If you're not even sure what your reach is. Yeah. You have to know your stats 100%. And you mentioned like to know it. So that's an affiliate program. So, um, affiliate programs are kind of an interesting way that influencers make money and that you can kind of do it on your own, right? Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about what an affiliate program is and what are some yeah, good ones? So so there's a lot of a lot of brands that are starting their own affiliate programs, but the big ones are reward style, shop style, and then also we're doing a lot with Amazon right now and their affiliate program. And it's a really great opportunity for influencers who are just starting to start to monetize. And um, basically you can go on the platforms, you can sign up, and then when you're creating content, you basically input links to whatever that product is. So if you're posting a fashion post and you link to a pair of paid page jeans and your audience clicks through or purchases, then you'll make a commission on whatever that sale is. Um, a lot of retailers like a Nordstrom people like to link to because maybe you liked those page page jeans, but you went to go look at them. And for some reason, the inseam was too short or too long, but you realized, oh, wait, I actually need a new Clinique mascara. And you then go and click through and buy mascara. Your Those clicks and those sales are then kind of allocated back to whatever that original post is. So it's a great opportunity to start um, starting to see revenue before you're ready for those bigger brand partnerships. And then also taking that data and going to page or going to Clinique and saying, oh, I, I linked out organically to you or I used an affiliate link and I got X amount of clicks. Like maybe in the future we can talk about a partnership. I want to break down the anatomy of a sponsored post and like the anatomy of like a sponsored content partnership. So 
obviously we know you can charge for an Instagram post um, and do sponsored content, but there are multiple items that you can add on to that that you can also upcharge for. So what typically are uh, instances of things that you can upcharge for? For Instagram specifically, we can do an Instagram still, we can do Instagram stories, we can do IG live, and then also going into adding on usage rates. So if a brand wants to do a sponsored Instagram, but maybe they want to actually take and boost that content or put paid behind it, it's another great way to kind of build out that partnership. And then also looking at other platforms like blog um, and then newsletter and then also further in terms of like usage rights and ownership and PR rights and adding a link in bio for 24 hours. There's a lot of things that we're doing to make campaigns much larger and, and, and more holistic for the influencer. So also, again, kind of going back to understanding your value, value, we know with our clients who will perform really well on an Instagram swipe up. So we will suggest if we know it's a conversion rate related campaign that they don't only do a still, but we'll really also push them to do a story with the swipe up, which makes it beneficial to the brand because they're going to see an increase in, in sales and clicks. And it's great for the talent because now the content that they were producing for a still, they produce a little bit more content, not as much time as a, an additional shoot for a campaign, but then they're also getting that kind of added bonus of, of posting those stories. So it's also looking at as you're building out your social footprint, what does that look like? And is it a blog? Um, are you doing Facebook lives, Instagram's a is a major one where a lot of the audience lives. And then YouTube, newsletter, um, what are these different extensions that you know a brand could kind of fit into? Yeah, 100%. And I love that you said newsletter. I think newsletters are, it's honestly the one thing I click on, I always look at. I'm like a newsletter junkie. And, and again, you own those email addresses um, as long as you're having everyone opt in for them. So I think that's a great uh, way as a content creator to kind of own a little piece of your audience as well. So I love that we talked about all the different ways that you can sort of charge for something. So obviously, like you said, a standard post, a swipe up, a link in bio, an Instagram stories, a slideshow, all these things can be um, added value and obviously price increase um, and usage rates. So and just for everyone, you know, if you don't know about usage rights, I mean, these are things where in the contract. So if I post something on Instagram for a brand and they, you know, sneakily put in something about, oh, and we can use this in, you know, potential in-store and potential uh, billboards and like all of a sudden your little, you know, measly Instagram post is being used in Times Square. It's exciting, but you probably should have gotten paid more for that. Um, and then I want to talk a lot about exclusivity. So can you tell us a little bit about what exclusivity typically entails and like how that can kind of play into a brand partnership? Yeah, for sure. I think that usage and exclusivity exponentially increase the fee for campaigns even more than producing more content. Because like you said, all of those different elements that when you're giving up full, full usage of content, and I, and I tell brands this all the time, they're like, we, we need to own the content. I'm like, you don't need to own own the content. Just tell me how you're going to use it. They're like, well, we want to use it everywhere. I'm like, well, are you going to use it in a billboard? Are you going to use it in taxicab TV? Am I going to walk down the subway and see her photo on on, on the on an out of door, out of home display, and they're like, no. I'm like, well, then you don't need to use it. How do you really plan to use it? So as we're creating these campaigns, one of the first things we ask is, what is the usage and exclusivity? And for exclusivity, it's it it can be really exciting because it means that maybe you're part of a much larger uh, campaign with a brand, but it could also mean that you could miss out on other work going forward. So with exclusivity, we like to get really specific about what that means. So if we're working with a beauty brand, does it mean that they cannot work with any cosmetics or can they just not work with another mass cosmetic or mm. can they just not work with another lipstick? So I would get as granular as you possibly can within the exclusivity as to what they really need covered and then what the term is. And you have to really think about it. And if they want two months exclusivity for all of cosmetics and skincare, and you look at the last partnerships that you did for the past six months, and you see that you did skincare and cosmetics post every month, you need to then kind of look at and project how much you would be missing out on that covered exclusivity. And um, we hear the same thing with, with usage is, is, is that brands will say, well, it's, it's to the talent's advantage that we're wanting 
to use them in a billboard in Times Square for this cosmetic brand. But that means that another competitive cosmetic brand is most likely not going to want to touch or work with that influencer mm. for a longer term, impacting their future revenue. So making it as specific and granular as possible. Um, but I would also say like a lot of these conversations are much better had on the phone because it takes that I feel like in email, things can get really intense. And and if you're saying, well, we only want one week of exclusivity, and they're like, well, we need a year. And if you really get on the phone and say, how do you plan on use this? What are you, what are you doing with it? How long do you need it for? And let's come up with a solution that works for all parties. Um, we've been more successful at kind of narrowing down those terms and also those, those categories for exclusivity. 100%. We always say, like, don't take the first deal on the table. Always negotiate it. There's always room for conversation. And I love that you just pick up the phone sometimes because email, especially when you're negotiating things, can get a little contentious, but it's always just a matter of uh, having a conversation. So, And I think definitely have those conversations up front. Mm. Um, you know, I have a list of questions that I send out to every brand before I even put a proposal together because, you know, there's nothing worse than going back and forth and, you know, identifying the right talent and feeling like you've got this amazing deal and then you got the contract back and you're like, wait, we didn't discuss any of this stuff. And the worst thing is for the brand to assume and to you assume like it's better off to ask those really hard questions up front and have the difficult conversations than get to a contract and realize that you're so far off base and that you've wasted, you know, weeks or months of negotiations on something that you're definitely not aligned with. I love that. I think a questionnaire is so smart and kind of you'll learn as you go what those questions need to be. But I think that's a really great way to kind of approach it. I want to talk a little bit about diversification in the sense that I think now that these influencers are really transcending influence in that sense that they're becoming brands and businesses and, and multi-layered businesses. I think, you know, a lot of the DBA roster has done such a great job. I mean, I look at Gabby and Nicolette launching Prem. I think about Gal Meets Glam launching her dress line and something Navy and her collaboration with Nordstrom. I mean, these are real deal businesses. And I want to talk about how once these, you know, women are and men have reached this level of like, I am a brand in myself, how they can diversify their business in different ways. Yeah. And I think that that kind of goes back to even, you know, our, our you know, our, our business model and how we work with talent. We really approach talent as brands. And when we're looking at somebody to sign or we're looking at their, their growth strategy, we're really looking at ultimately, what are those offline brands and what are we doing now to grow those brands? So Ariel is an amazing example. Like I look back to some of her original Tresemme projects that she did and it started off as, you know, a sponsored post. And then she was reporting for them for fashion week. And then they did her hair for her wedding. And then fast forward, she's in a global television commercial for Tresemme, which started from growing a relationship from a sponsored post. But mm. we knew that that was, we knew that was the goal. Um, same thing with her closing clothing line in Nordstrom, you know, we did a collaboration with Treasure and Brand and Nordstrom, which was really kind of, you know, the dating phase of that relationship, which grew into now this, this brand that's launching at retail this fall. So for us, it's about how do we look at talent and what is that brand extension and whether that is a uh, product, like you mentioned, uh, Gal Meets Glam and her dress line. We also work with Cupcakes and Cashmere, who's, you know, she started in fashion apparel, then she went to home and interiors. Now she's launching shoes in 2009. 19. Um, products not for everybody. We also have a lot of clients who have books. Mm. What's Gobby Cooking has written multiple cookbooks. Cupcakes and Cashmere has had best-selling books. Song of Style had a best-seller book. Catherine Schwarzenegger writ wrote a children's book on pet adoption. Um, <laughs> and then other extensions too, like television. We work with uh, Patrick Starr, who was a judge on America's Next Top Model. But it really goes into what's that passion point and it really how are we building brands so that when, you know, the when when they're not wanting to have to post Instagrams of their outfits or of what they're eating or what they're making or where they're going and other kids, there's something bigger that they're doing. But um, for us, it really goes back to these different different brand extensions. And um, those are the most exciting things that that our talent and, and we get excited about. Yeah, absolutely. Always thinking about the bigger picture. I love that so much. I mean, like you said, you can only create content for so long and I'm sure people can do it for a really long time. But like, what's the game plan for the bigger strategy? What's the like money while you sleep kind of kind of situation? For sure. Absolutely. Always on the mind. And then at, you know, you mentioned you manage all these amazing talent. I think a lot of people, and I'm sure you get this question all the time, is 
how do I get a manager? Like, what are you guys looking for when you're bringing on talent? And what is your recommendation for people who are seeking management? Yeah. Um, you know, when we're looking at talent, um, you know, when we start discussing talent um, for management, our first question we ask ourselves is what's this person's brand trajectory? Do we, do we believe that we can be successful in growing them into a brand and that we can monetize content, um, while we're getting there? So looking at people who we know that we can successfully bring sponsored content to that we know that have a high conversion that we can get them hooked up with the right affiliate network, um, who we believe have these bigger opportunities for brand extensions. There's a million women, and men producing content who are looking for managers. But I think it's really important to know, kind of going back to what we said before, what's your value? Like, why is a brand going to choose you over the person standing next to you? And, you know, not every, it takes a while before you're ready for a manager and you need to go out there and hustle and really build relationships. I think that that is something that gets lost in this digital age that the traditional relationship goes a long way. Like, like look at you, the relationship relationships that you made, like from when you first had your blog or people that you're still working with that are partnering on Create and Cultivate in like massive ways. And I feel like both brands and talent on each side forget that step. I come from a traditional PR background where my whole day was spent building relationships with editors. And I see brands where they want to skip that part and they want to be like, oh, can we just invite the talent? to our event? Or can I just send them this product? I'm like, but if you took two seconds to maybe, um, have a coffee with them and have it not be about your brand and build that relationship, they're going to want to go and support you. So I think it really goes back to, um, looking at it, what your brand is, knowing why your brand or your channel is different, why that's valuable for a brand and go out there and hustle for yourself. And once you see that you're getting, um, a response and, and there's, there's, there's brand that are coming to you without your outreach, then that's when it's time to start um, looking for a manager. I love that. And I 1000% agree. The human factor is so important. I think people like working with people they like. Uh, And I think, you know, over the years, you've been such a master at that. Like you, you truly know so many people in, in the industry. And I think that's just because you're constantly top of mind. You're constantly reaching out. You're always in the mix. Like you have to be that way. And I know it can feel daunting and exhausting, but I think it's such an important lesson in business and in life in general. Um, so let's flip the script for a second. Obviously we're talking a lot about influencers and, you know, these big brands like a Tresemme, et cetera. But if I am a small company and an entrepreneur who's trying to get their product out there and want to work with influencers, what would your suggestion be? I would would start with the relationship and I wouldn't go, I wouldn't immediately Google top bloggers to work with. I would really kind of go through, go through Instagram on a discovery phase and find people who align with you and your brand and your, your mission and find that connection to them and, and DM them. You know, if you are a startup fashion brand and you have some sort of charity element, like figure out through Instagram, what influencers support your charity and go at it through the charity angle through DM. Um, don't come at them with like, oh, I want to send you my product in exchange for a post. Be like, oh, I see that you love gold necklaces. I made this, I have this beautiful one and I'd love to send you it with your, your initials. No pressure either way. Like go at it from building the relationship in a way that you want to connect with them and their brand. If you know that they're involved in, and I kind of go back to the charity because I feel like that's a great opportunity to connect with somebody because um, it's something that they're really passionate about. And just start reaching out and no answer doesn't mean no. That's like my, I, it's like my favorite quote ever because everybody gets so busy and our, our email boxes and our, our DMs are inundated with so many different messages. And just because somebody doesn't get back to you doesn't mean they're not interested. Like follow up, be like, you may not have seen my message, but I just saw that you like X, Y, and Z. I went there too. Or I see that you're going on vacation. You definitely try out this restaurant or DM them certain things that you think align with their passions. But I would start with communication and relationship before you're like, Hey, if I send you my product, will you post it for free? 
Yeah, 100%. And I think it's also just, you know, word of mouth is so important. And I think, again, finding people who either are tagging your brand organically or tagging similar brands and just saying, hey, actually, I have this amazing blanket too. And I, you know, would love to send it to you. And just kind of like putting it out there and again, starting those relationships, whether it's coffee or whatever it is, I think is so important. I think also, you know, targeting smaller influencers who are really excited and interested to work with brands who you know for their content are you know can promote you and then again you can if you have a little bit of a following on your site like we're going to repost your post and like you know kind of drive followers to you as well you know there's a lot of reciprocal ways that you can work with brands when your guys are first just starting out um, and kind of getting it out there. Yeah. And it's again, it's like the value exchange, like what's in it, you know, finding out what's in it for both parties, even if it, ha- even if it's not money, um, and don't have expectations, like know that, you know, you're, you're just starting off and maybe the influencer is just starting off. And I, I see it a lot with brands that, you know, new brands that start to work with influencers who are on the rise, like they become really close and those influencers maybe one day invest in those brands and they become a much, um, it's a much closer relationship than just like, here, I'll send you my product and you can post about it or I'll send pay you a hundred dollars or whatever it is. Um, I think that there's ways to create meaningful relationships when you're just starting out. Thank you so much, Risa. This was awesome. Thank you. All right, let's throw it to Heather, our marketing director here at Create and Cultivate, and check in on what is happening at the CNC HQ. What up, Heather? Oh, you know, all the things are going on over at HQ. The team has been traveling a ton, but we're transitioning into some of our holiday campaigns um, and the start of 2019, which is wild. I have, uh... no... <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea where the year went. It's insane. That stresses me out so much, but thanks for the reminder. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. That said, um, the holidays are the perfect time to make that money. And on the Create and Cultivate blog, we have a ton of articles that can help you turn your social media content into cold, hard cash. It's gift guide season. It's so true. I I mean, the holidays are my favorite. And I feel like there is such an opportunity as a content creator to really capitalize because every brand is trying to push people to their sites to buy all of the things. So that article is definitely super helpful. Totally. So we have a few articles. We have how to make money on your social channels, which covers the basics of like how you're driving your followers from their platform to where they can actually click add to cart and hit buy. Um, We have articles on affiliate programs that you can sign up for and that you can join. Um, And, you know, we're just breaking it all down, all the ways you can monetize your content and, you know, get a little extra cash in your pocket during the holiday season. Why not? Well, thank you so much, Heather. That is awesome. And we will be sure to check it out. Amazing. Bye. Be Career FOMO with LinkedIn. LinkedIn makes it easier than ever to find fresh opportunities and to meet professionals looking to hire people just like you. It's important to always keep your network active and constantly seek new opportunities and possibilities. We're proud to have partnered with LinkedIn for season one of Work Party because they're all about making game-changing career connections, and so are we. And now it's time for our very special episode. We are bringing you guys straight to the Grove for our live interview with Mariana Hewitt and Lauren Gores, the co-founders of Summer Fridays. Today we are talking from blog to brand and burgeoning businesses that influencers are building. And I can't think of two women who embody this more, Mariana Hewitt and Lauren Gores, co-founders of Summer Fridays. How many of you in the audience, just to get a little sense, are content creators? Nice. How many of you have your own brand? Amazing. Sort of an even even split. Great. Well, we are going to tackle both topics today. So you have both uh, been an influencer and content creator for some time, both of you. You've worked with a ton of brands. What prompted you to start your own? 
We really felt like we had tested and tried so many things as influencers and we were getting sent so many products and we found that there were things that we really loved and gravitated towards and then there were definitely things that we loved the packaging but maybe the product wasn't great or we tried something and it was amazing and the, the packaging wasn't great or whatever it was but we really felt like there was something missing so we wanted to create clean skincare that had really cool packaging that was really made for us, for you guys also. And so that's really why we want to do that because we had tested and tried so many things that we really felt like we were experts. And we get to have a direct conversation with you. So that was the really incredible part about starting this is we got to really ask you guys what you wanted and what you were missing in your skincare routine. And that was a big part of how we formulated Jet Lag Mask. So perfect point as well, because essentially, Mariana, you were quoted as saying more influencers, the influencers are now the co-founders, right? Or the founders of companies, like more and more influencers are starting brands. And that's because to your point, you guys are marketers in your own right. You're getting so many products. You're seeing what's out there. Do you think this will be more of a trend moving forward? I think so for sure because a lot of people, you guys said, you guys all own businesses. You know how to photograph a product. You know how to market it. You already know everything about social where a new brand is trying to hire a social person to take images for them or they're trying to figure out who their target demographic is. For us, when we started Summer Fridays, we looked at our blog analytics, our Instagram analytics. We could say exactly who is our target consumer, where does she live, what is her age? What does she buy? What does she click on on reward style? So we had all of that data. And as a new brand, when you're going into that, that's so invaluable. A lot of other brands, they have to have focus groups and spend so much money to just get that kind of data. And they don't even know who they're making a product for. Um, and I also love that we're young female founders. So we're making stuff that you guys think are really cool. And if you, it's just the two of us. So the two of us, we look at each other. We say, do you like it? Do I like it? If we think it's cool and we want to make it, we hopefully think that you guys will feel the same. So I think that's definitely a trend happening with new brands. Yeah, I think it takes a lot of the guessing out of it. I think even a decade ago, starting a product, there was a lot of guessing on what people wanted. And the really special part about what we do is we don't have to guess. We can ask you guys and we can really produce something that we feel like will really resonate. Yeah, I love that. And I also think, you know, even true with Crate and Cultivate, it was like, I want to go to a conference that I want to go to. So I think that's such an amazing way to think about it. Like, think about things that you want and you like that you think are missing from the market and that you can bring to the table in a new and unique way. Um, so you guys are, like you said, two female co-founders. Tell us a little bit about how you guys met and how this partnership sort of came together. So we met eight or nine years ago now. We've been friends for years. Mariana's the best partner to have. Um, we have a really similar career background, actually. We both um, are from the Midwest. We went to school for broadcast journalism. I was a news anchor for a while in Missouri, and Mariana was a TV host as well. And then this whole digital shift started to happen, and we both started to share things that we loved on our blogs. And we just kind of kept sharing a lot of our, our daydreams that we had. And then this vision for Summer Fridays came to life. And you know that feeling in your gut when something just feels like, wow, this is going to be really special? I, we had that from day one. And I think it, it continues. And we constantly have these feelings in our stomachs that just give us butterflies because I think we're, we're going to continue building something that's really special. And you have said that Summer Fridays is a social first brand. So what do you mean by that? When we create everything from the packaging to the imagery, we think, how is this going to live on Instagram first? So if you go to our Instagram page, you might not even end up going to our website if you don't like our Instagram first. I know how that's how I am when I'm shopping for new products or brands. So when we were even designing the packaging, we thought, how will this photograph on Instagram? How will this photograph in a flat lay? When we saw the first rendering of the tube, the font and the text wasn't big enough. So we made it bigger so that when you take a flat lay, you could see Summer Fridays really clearly. So to us, Instagram was always our first thought. And even now, as we produce our photo shoots with new product launches or models or whatever it is, we think about the imagery for social. We think, okay, shoot this horizontal because this needs to be cropped into a square versus having to go back later and think like, okay, this is great for the site, but it doesn't live well on Instagram because as we know, you can have a really amazing, beautiful photograph, but that doesn't necessarily translate well on Instagram. It's not as engaging. So that's how we always try to think of the content that we create. I love that. And I, I mean, raise your hand if you've seen it on Instagram. It's, it's really everywhere and it's so beautiful. Um, so congratulations on that. So now you're creating content for a brand, which is obviously different than what you're creating for your own channels. What has kind of gone into the social media strategy for Summer Fridays? 
I think we were really fortunate to have worked with a lot of brands prior to launching. So we had a good idea of what really would resonate. But I mean, a lot of what you see on Summer Fridays is, of course, how the mask will fit into your busy lives. How are you using it, you know, after a long day of work? How are you using it on a flight? How are you using it if your baby keeps you up all night or you're working two jobs or whatever it is that kind of gives you your jet lag? So we really try to give a lot of practical ways that you can use the mask. And then also, of course, encourage self-care because we all deserve a little me time, I think. Um, but I think having that experience really helped in, in kind of building our, our social platform for Summer Fridays. Amazing. So I'm going to read a little stat. Forbes estimates that there are approximately 40 prominent beauty startups today founded by women, making this industry one of the most prevalent places for women to self-start their businesses. What made skincare, what made you decide on skincare specifically? We really felt like when your skin looks good, you feel good. And when your skin looks good, your makeup goes on better, or maybe you don't want to wear makeup at all. And we really also felt like skincare was very inclusive. So whether you're a man or a woman, no matter your age, your race, your gender, whatever it is, you could really use this product. Whereas a makeup product or something else might only be for a specific person. So like literally every person that we're looking at right now could use jet lag mask. And we love that about skincare because everyone washes their face hopefully morning and night. Hopefully. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe, um, maybe not. So we love that about our products. We really felt like even though we target a certain demographic, that really a lot of people could use it. And I'm like a skincare junkie. And I know that I feel my most confident when I don't have any breakouts and my skin is hydrated. And it's not dry or flaky or anything like that. So we're just, we're skincare obsessed. So part of what I want to talk about today was the launch of Summer Fridays. I mean, it truly broke the internet. It was everywhere. And you launched with Sephora. What was the whole strategy? Oh my God, no. We were blown away by the response. Um, thanks to all of you. It really was, it was incredible. I mean, I think we cried probably every day, multiple times a day, happy tears, because we were so blown away by it. And we just kind of kept, you know, first I think launching with Sephora was a huge goal of ours, even before even before we knew it was going to happen. It was just, it was a really, really big goal. It, it put us on a platform that was much bigger than our own, and it also put us next to brands and to products that we've loved and used for years, and other founders we really respect. And then we kind of started first sharing it with some of our friends and influencers and celebrities, and they shared it. And then all of a sudden, it just started going everywhere. And we were seeing people from 10 followers to 100 followers to a million followers to 5 million followers sharing the mask. And that was really, really special to see. And that's, it's what we wanted. We dreamed of that. But it was honestly beyond, beyond what even I think we could have envisioned was seeing that response. And you launched with one product versus an entire collection, which feels like, wait, what? Like, and then it sold out like crazy and it was super successful. So what was the strategy behind that? For us as influencers, we really felt like when we would receive gifting from a brand, or even if you're shopping as a consumer and you go into a store that's here, you walk up to a brand counter, there's 40 products, 30 products. You're so overwhelmed that you don't even know which one to choose. You're like, is this one for me? Is that one for me? And maybe you just don't even try anything because there's too many options. So we really wanted to concentrate and have one really good product. And it really was unheard of, especially as launching a new brand. And I think some people who were in the space for a long time maybe thought that this was unheard of, that we started like this. And since launching, I feel like it really helped concentrate a launch with one brand. And we felt really strongly that Jet Lag Mask spoke to who we are as a brand. And we love it. So it makes it, and also makes it much easier to manage as an indie brand. Um, you don't have so many SKUs to launch with. And every single little thing you can think of from the cap to the printing, to the box, to the formula, there can be a problem that comes along all sorts of ways during production. So the least products amount you have, the less problems that you have during production as well. I love that. That's such great advice for anyone starting a business like that. Um, so Mariana, you said to WWD, we don't want to compete with other brands. We want to complement other products. Considering brand partnerships are likely a big part of both of your incomes, what are your feelings about this moving forward as Summer Fridays grows? I think as long as the brand fits in with who Summer Fridays is, I'm really conscious about that. Already now, I probably say no to 90 or something percent brands that come to me to work with me. So it really has to be a brand I love, a product I love, something I think my followers will really love as well. And then for us... Um, I don't know. I just, I think, I mean, I think even, even as Summer Fridays grows and as we add more products, I also think that it's fair to say we all use multiple brands. I think it's unrealistic to, to think that we're going to only use one brand for 
the rest of our lives. So even as we come out with a lot more products, we hope that they complement your skincare routine. We hope that you forever use the brands you love and that this just becomes part of that routine. And that's also why we share them on social too. So if you look at Summer Friday's Instagram right now, we don't just show Summer Fridays. We show lots of shelfies of different products with that. And we also show different Instagram takeovers and we're showing how girls use the product in their routine. And people have messaged us back and say, oh my gosh, we love that. Now I want to buy it because you show and promote other brands. And we're all about that. And we even have something called Founders Club, which isn't really like a club. It's just a group of our friends and we're all female brand founders that created beauty brands that live in Los Angeles. And we all support each other. We sit around. It's like adult book club. We like have wine and we talk about whatever we're working on at the time. And we're so supportive of each other. And we support their brands. And even some of the girls both have makeup companies and they sell at the same retailers and they're competitors with each other, but they're so helpful of each other at the same time. That's a big brand ethos at Create and Cultivate collaboration over competition. I think it's so important. There's absolutely room for everyone. So you guys are launching a few more products this year, which is so exciting. Um, you said that you crowdsource a lot of your information. You get a lot of feedback from the audience when creating those products. So why is that so important to you? And how have you been using that to create new, new SKUs? So, I mean, we created Summer Fridays for you, for our community, and it's so easy to speak to you that why would we not ask, you know, our, our followers and our community what they want? And so we were really active with doing that actually even before we launched Jetlag. It's what inspired a lot of our first product. And then now as we launch future products, we are keeping track of all of the messages we get from you guys and the DMs and the comments. And I mean, we actually have an Excel sheet with like quite literally thousands of responses from everyone on their biggest skincare concerns, what they are missing from the routine. And then we take a lot of time on creating a product. We're actually really, really patient with what we create. I mean, like I said earlier, we spent nearly two years creating jet lag mask and we'll, we'll be really patient with creating future products too. We really believe in, in releasing them slowly and, and really spending a lot of time to make it perfect rather than rushing to give people something. But I think that um, we're, we're taking everything that you guys are telling us and putting it into something. I think it's so helpful too to see it as a number on an Excel sheet because when so many people ask for the same thing, it might have not even been on our radar or it kind of was, but maybe we were thinking about it as a later launch. But because so many of you ask for the same thing over and over again, we're like, okay, we really need to work on this. This is a huge skincare concern for you. We need to get this right. And we want to make that. So even though it might have not been something we wanted to launch to like 2020, we we're like, okay, we need to work on this faster, sooner because so many of you want it. So it's so fun to see that. And we're screenshotting all your answers. So when it comes out, we'll definitely reference you guys. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that so much. And I, obviously the Excel sp spreadsheets of feedback is like so important when you're building your business. Um, so obviously you're now co-founders of a company. You've launched this business. You have your blog businesses, your mom, like you have so much going on. How are you guys managing scaling the business? And what are some of the challenges you face? <laughs> Got to talk about the challenges. I mean, are we managing at all? <laughs> the, the, the best we can. Uh, I think it's a learning process for sure. I mean, I think that we we are learning as we go. We launched, it hasn't even been six months since we launched. So I think we're making changes and adjustments as we go. Um, we we both work on our personal blogs as well. Um, I decided to have a baby the year we launched a business, which like might have been half insane. Um, but I mean, you, you know, we're, we're learning as we go. And I think that hopefully we'll be able to, to manage everything as it happens. It's definitely so hard though. I posted something on Instagram the other day. It was a picture of me sitting at my desk. And I think on Instagram are the most photogenic moments of our lives. But what you guys don't see is it's 1230 in the morning and I'm texting Lauren and calling her and we're trying to figure out something or it's an issue with a photo or a lab needs a sample or someone needs a package or product. And there's so many of those non-photogenic moments that we don't share on Instagram. So even though it looks really fun on there and it is really fun, we love what we do. There's so much hard work that goes on that's not online. Um, so I think it's learning to balance that. And now we're trying to also show those real moments on social to share with you guys like how tough it is, but how rewarding it is at the same time. I think too, we, it's like a shift in your mindset too, because at first things can feel really overwhelming. And then when you sit back and you think, oh my gosh, if you're overwhelmed, like what a blessing to feel overwhelmed. That means you have a lot going on. And I think it's just about shifting your mindset in that and thinking, you know, there were moments where I probably wished I had more work going on or I, I wished of becoming a mom or whatever it is that your dream is. And then it gets here and you be, feel really busy. But then when you can remind yourself that that actually means you got to a point that you were once dreaming about, it kind of shifts your whole perspective, I think. 100%. And so as you grow and as you get more overwhelmed and all these things start happening, you obviously have to start growing a team. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you've grown the team and what that process has been like? 
I think we, as an indie brand, you kind of do everything from the very beginning yourself. So we wore so many hats, and maybe hats that we didn't even know how to wear. We were like trying to figure it out as we went, and Google is your best resource. If you don't know how to do something, you could really Google it and probably find an answer or tap into someone who might know the answer. And thankfully, we had so many great friends and people in that industry who could help us and kind of lead us in the right way. And then really, now we've kind of learned that, okay, you need to make a hire before you need the hire so that you're not always playing catch up. So if you start to feel like you might need this role, you might need someone, now it's about looking for those people to kind of fill those roles. So we're kind of getting to that point now. I mean, as a new brand, you can only afford so many people at a time. So it's really growing slowly. But because we grow so slow, we're so like conscious of who those hires are. Uh, but it's fun and it's, it's so fun to meet new people and bring them on. And then um, we just have to give away a little responsibility, which is a little difficult. But... <laughs> 100%. And I think also one of the best parts of growing a business with a co-founder is you're able to complement each other. How do your management styles sort of different? We, we work really well together, actually. We're both um, also really obsessed with what we do. So we do text at 2 in the morning sometimes about whatever idea we have. Um, but we also have different strengths. Marianne is impressively creative. As all of you know, she also makes you make decisions really quickly. Uh, I like to take a little bit more time with the decision. I like us to weigh every option. Um, and I like us to sit with things sometimes. So I think it actually balances out perfectly. Because sometimes you have to know when to go quickly. And you have to go. And then there are other times that you can avoid some wrong turns by just sitting with something and taking a little bit more time if it doesn't feel just right in your gut. So I think that that's been, you know, really beneficial to us is that we really have different strengths in that sense. Yeah, I think having like-minded work ethics is so important going into it because if one person's off that, you know, it kind of like unbalances the whole situation. So that's so awesome. So I think we're going to do some audience Q&As, but I have one more question for you guys. What can we expect next from Summer Fridays? <laughs> well, really exciting. We actually haven't posted this yet, um, but tomorrow we launch all Sephora doors. So Woo! every Sephora that you guys go to, I know so many of you guys have been asking about where to see it in stores. Yeah, you guys are the first to know that. We haven't said that anywhere. Breaking so, news. <laughs> breaking at the news. Grove. I feel like I'm going back to my broadcasting days now. I'm like giving breaking news. Um, so that's really that's really really exciting for us. This was, that was a big dream of ours. Um, we have some more exciting things coming too that we're not sharing just yet. We're so excited that, that we've been working on them. Yeah, amazing. Have you bought your copy of Work Party the book? Part career manifesto, part practical business advice. Work Party the Book is everything I wish I knew during my early years as an entrepreneur. The ups, the downs, the things I learned, and the women that helped me to make it happen. Just like in our podcast, Work Party the Book does not shy away from the nitty-gritty details you need to know. If you hope to start your own business or become the HBIC at your current gig, we're here to help you out. Available in hardcover and audiobook on Amazon, also on iBooks at Target and your local bookstore. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Work Party, the podcast. If you felt inspired and learned something new, let us know in a review on iTunes and check us out on social at Work Party. For every episode, we have downloadable resources available on workparty.com so you can put these tips and tools into action for your own business. Thanks again for listening. And as always, work hard, party on. <laughs>